Chapter 10 of Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume 7, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter 10, Vicksburg. The town of Vicksburg stands on a plateau, some 200 feet above the river level, which has been cut and carved by the rains of centuries, so as to present a chaos of ravines and ridges running in every direction. The hills are composed of a peculiarly tough and fine-grained clay, and the ravines, cut out of them by the running streams, retain their forms for many years, only gradually widening under the climate and weather. Except where the streams that form them are very large, the ravines are extremely narrow at the bottom. They are so steep that it is impossible for a full-armed soldier to climb them. The only way in which this network of hills and chasms can be traversed is by roads running along the crests of the ridges. All these crests were fully commanded by the Confederate works, and it was this which made the siege of Vicksburg so tedious and toilsome an enterprise when grant arrived before the entrenchments on the evening of may eighteenth he thought it possible that the defeats of the last week had so demoralized and discouraged the defenders of the place that a quick rush of his victorious troops might carry the works by a coup de main he therefore ordered a general attack on the afternoon of the nineteenth sherman's corps got up to the works but as mcclernand's and mcpherson's were at a greater distance they were unable to afford Sherman the necessary support, and the attack failed, with no advantage to the Union forces except a nearer approach to the enemy's works and the gaining of better ground for a future attempt. General Grant did not wait long for his second trial. The reasons which he gave in his report for the second assault have been generally accepted by military critics as sound, in spite of the failure of the enterprise. He believed the assault could be made successful, secondly he knew that johnston was at canton and was being rapidly reinforced he was anxious therefore to take the place before johnston could fall upon his rear and having done this he would himself have been able to turn upon johnston and drive him from the state before the season was too late for campaigning and finally he says the troops themselves were impatient to possess vicksburg and would not have worked in the trenches with the same zeal believing it unnecessary that they did after their failure to carry the enemy's works he therefore ordered on the evening of the twenty first an assault all along the line at ten o'clock the next morning and caused all the corps commanders to set their watches by his so that the assault might be made at the same instant this was done according to orders and with equal bravery and energy in all three of the corps and with equal lack of success sherman's mcpherson's and mcclernand's soldiers all rushed with the same valor for the narrow roads through which alone the assault could be made each planted their flags upon the outer walls of the enemy's works all were met with an energetic defense and repulsed with heavy loss a bitter controversy arose after the battle between general mcclernand on the one side and general grant and his friends on the other in regard to an unfortunate incident by which the union losses were greatly increased grant watched the attack from a hill on the jackson road which commanded a view of all the roads on which the assault was made he saw the forward rush the blaze of fire from the enemy's parapet 
the planting of the union colors on the outward slope the check of his soldiers and their paws in the ditches he was satisfied that the attack had failed and starting to communicate with sherman in regard to the next step to be taken he received a dispatch from general mcclernand saying he was hard pressed and asking for reinforcements he continued his ride to sherman's position and on reaching there received a second dispatch from mcclernand saying that he had part possession of two forts and that the stars and stripes were floating over them neither grant nor sherman placed full credence in this enthusiastic dispatch but both agreed that it was impossible to neglect so important a message at such a time sherman said the note was official and must be credited and offered to renew the assault with new troops at mcpherson's headquarters whither he instantly hastened general grant received a third dispatch from mcclernand of the same import and at last ordered the attack to be renewed the devoted soldiers sprang once more to the assault with the finest courage and energy but it was useless they were everywhere repulsed again and the renewed attempt only added heavily to the list of the day's casualties general mcclernand always insisted that his dispatches were correct and that he would have taken the town if he had been properly supported but the facts seemed to be that only sergeant joseph e griffith of the twenty-second iowa with a squad of men got into the enemy's works and they were all killed but the valorous sergeant himself who came out safely bringing some prisoners with him this was general mcclernand's last feat of arms unwilling to trust his exploits of the twenty-second of may to any less intelligent or friendly chronicler than himself he wrote on the thirtieth of may and published to his troops and not to his troops alone but to his fellow-citizens in the north a congratulatory order in which he recounted in the style of napoleon in italy the labors and the triumphs of the thirteenth army corps giving especial prominence to the affair of the twenty-second if he had confined himself to the doughty deeds of his own soldiers it might have passed unnoticed but he unfortunately sought to gild his own achievements by slighting those of his comrades and to place his own desert in a brighter light he even insinuated that the general-in-chief had not properly supported him when this order published in a st louis newspaper came back to the camp it occasioned such effervescence as may easily be imagined in the corps of sherman and mcpherson both these generals joined immediately in a protest to general grant against their censorious colleague and grant fully sympathizing in their resentment immediately relieved general mcclernand from the command of the thirteenth army corps assigning in his place subject to the president's approval that able and modest soldier e o c ord in announcing this action to general halleck grant said that he had tolerated general mcclernand long after he thought the good of the service demanded his removal which he added now that it had taken place had given general satisfaction the thirteenth army corps sharing perhaps equally in the feeling with other corps of the army after this severe repulse which cost the union army more than three thousand men with no compensating advantages whatever grant gave up all thought of taking the place by storm and resolved upon a regular siege in the peculiarities of topography to which we have already referred this siege differs from any other in history 
vicksburg was properly speaking not a fortress but an entrenched camp stretching for miles along the heights of the mississippi and defended by innumerable gullies and ravines almost impassable to troops grant's forces at the beginning were altogether insufficient for the complete investment of such a camp at the outset of the campaign his forces numbered about forty three thousand though at the close his army had been increased to seventy five thousand men in his official report pemberton says that when he moved into the defenses he had twenty eight thousand effectives the parole lists after the surrender accounted for twenty nine thousand four hundred ninety one men which included the non-effectives not being able to garnish the entire semicircle of investment with troops grant contented himself at the beginning with holding and strongly occupying the northern half of it sherman's corps holding the bank of the mississippi and the heights to the east of it mcpherson coming next and mcclernand upon his left general jacob g lauman arrived two days after the assault and was placed in position on mcclernand's left to guard the hall's ferry and the warrenton roads which enter vicksburg from the south brigadier general john MacArthur, with three brigades had already joined mcpherson's corps and strengthened his line and on the eleventh of june the division of general herron arrived from the other side of the river and completed the investment by taking up a strong position on the river south of the town lauman moving up to the right formed a close connection with hovey thus hermetically closing all the avenues of approach to vicksburg now for the first time in his career grant wishing by an overwhelming force to ensure the capture of the town and to defend himself against the threatened attack of johnston asked for reinforcements which even before his request was received were promptly and ungrudgingly sent him as fast as they were needed or could be used so that he was able on the eighth of june to say in a dispatch to washington vicksburg is closely invested i have a spare force of about thirty thousand men with which to repel anything from the rear the troops having been satisfied by the slaughter of the twenty-second of the impossibility of storming the works in their front and of the absolute necessity of hard work to capture them labored for six weeks with cheerful and uncomplaining fortitude in the drudgery of the siege the army was most imperfectly provided with all the material considered essential for the prosecution of a work of this sort and the ingenuity of the american soldier found constant exercise in the invention of devices to supply these deficiencies they waddled their gabions with crushed cane which abounded in the ravines and hollows they took empty barrels from the commissary department which bound about with fashions of cane made excellent sap rollers they had no cohorn mortars and so improvised them by shrinking iron bands on cylinders of hard wood and boring them for shells the negro refugees from the, the surrounding counties came in and worked with cheerful and efficient industry under the novel stimulus of regular wages the peculiar nature of the ground was the occasion of all sorts of eccentric siege inventions when it became necessary to cross one of the gullies commanded by the enemy's fire they would build in the night strong parapets of logs manning them with picked riflemen under which the working parties were perfectly protected the next day 
for the first shot from the rebel works would be answered by a deadly reply from the log parapets the engineer's report refers in one instance to a reconnaissance of a rebel ditch obtained by mounting a mirror upon a sap roller as the siege went on from day to day and the hostile armies came nearer and nearer together they were constantly within sound of each other's voices and friendly conversations continually took place between soldiers who would have destroyed each other in a moment with their rifles if they had come within sight for siege operations of this enormous extent the force of engineers in the army was of course altogether inadequate grant sherman and mcpherson multiplied themselves all along the line every graduate of west point in the army was assigned to energetic duty and the cleverest and most capable collegians from the volunteer regiments were detailed and given an opportunity to show what their euclid and legendre had done for them while holding the enemy in front in this grip of iron grant was equally vigilant in regard to the enemy in his rear after his reinforcements arrived he felt strong enough to remove sherman from his duty on the heights above vicksburg and to place him in command of a large army to observe johnston he gave him generals park washburn james m tuttle MacArthur, and osterhaus who massed a force of about thirty thousand men and a strong division of mcpherson's was also held in constant readiness to join him sherman occupied the country from haynes bluff on the left to a bridge over the black river on the right a space of eight miles foraging expeditions sent out previously had made a waste of the entire region between the two rivers gathering large supplies for the union army and spoiling the country to the point of starvation to prevent general johnston from drawing provisions from it two incidents of the siege from which important results were expected on the one side and on the other but which had in the end no effect upon the march of events deserve perhaps a word of notice shortly after the assault of the twenty second of may an attempt was made to enfilade the enemy's batteries upon fort hill by which it was thought that an important position on the confederate left might be carried it was therefore attacked from the river with that readiness which porter always showed when his assistance was needed by the army on the morning of the twenty seventh of may but nothing came of it except the destruction of the gunboat cincinnati which was sunk in half an hour by the plunging fire from the guns of fort hill after this no further attack was made by the navy which however continued to lend valuable assistance by the bombardment of the town the other incident was a diversion on the west side of the river at milliken's bend by a division under general john g walker sent from arkansas by general kirby smith milliken's bend had been left undefended except by a small garrison consisting chiefly of colored troops from louisiana the garrison was assailed with great energy by the confederates and the attack at first seemed to promise a complete success but the garrison after having been driven out of their works to the shelter of a levee by the riverside there rallied and with the assistance of the gunboats choctaw and lexington which as usual were ready when needed the assault was checked and finally repulsed a brigade of the fifteenth corps was sent across the river the next day and this together with the marine brigade under alfred w ellett drove walker along the shreveport railroad to monroe this raid which it was hoped 
might have opened the gates of the western frontier to pemberton's army came to nothing and even if they had succeeded in taking and holding milliken's bend such occupation would probably not have been of long continuance and the attempt to evacuate vicksburg under the fire of porter's guns would have been nothing less than desperate while grant was pushing his saps and mines inch by inch up to the confederate works johnston was doing his best to bring together an army at canton sufficient to raise the siege of vicksburg he soon found himself at the head of a not inconsiderable force during the first days of the siege he was joined by the brigades of generals gist m d ector and evander mcnair loring's division ragged and travel-stained from its long wanderings reached him four days after the battle of champions hill and s b maxey came in from the port hudson army some days later by the fourth of june he received the additional reinforcements of a brigade under n g evans a division under general breckinridge and a cavalry division commanded by w h jackson amounting to twenty eight hundred men a force according to the confederate war department of thirty two thousand but which general johnston after the habit of confederate generals diminishes to twenty four thousand although he says in his report that it was not one-third the force of the enemy it really was in those first days of june not very much inferior to the victorious army of grant and if it could have been joined with the army of pemberton before grant's reinforcements arrived johnston would have found himself at the head of a force largely in excess of the union army johnston complains bitterly in his report and in his narrative of his deficiency in every arm of the service but it cannot be denied that during the whole month of june his army was as deficient in leadership as in anything else luck as well as some other things was against him he sent a dispatch to general franklin gardiner directing the evacuation of port hudson but before it reached him the investment of that post was complete in answer to pemberton's repeated requests in the latter days of may for some demonstration which should relieve him he answered on the twenty ninth that he was too weak to save vicksburg that he could do nothing more than attempt to save the garrison and invited suggestions from pemberton as to the manner of accomplishing this during the whole month of june the correspondence between them continued on the same lines pemberton representing from day to day his increasing needs and johnston giving what scant encouragement he could at last pemberton on the twenty first of june suggested that johnston should march upon grant north of the jackson railroad driving in his pickets at night and at daylight next morning engage him heavily with skirmishers occupying him during the entire day that on that night he would attempt to escape by the warrenton road by hankinson's ferry at which point johnston would previously send a brigade of cavalry and two field batteries to cover the crossing the messenger who brought this dispatch told johnston that it was pemberton's opinion that the attempt could not be made with less than forty thousand men johnston saw in this verbal message an excuse for postponing the desperate enterprise proposed to him and answered on the following day that there was hope of cooperation with general taylor from the west bank of the river that he would himself try to make a diversion in pemberton's favor in a day or two that he feared his force was too small and he gave pemberton the cold comfort of suggesting that he had better communicate with general taylor and try to cross the river at the last moment 
but by this time pemberton's hopes had so faded that he wrote on the same day the twenty-second suggesting that johnston should propose terms of surrender to general grant saying that he might hold out for fifteen days longer but that the enemy's works were within twenty-five feet of his redan and that his men had been thirty-four days and nights in the trenches without relief and the enemy within conversation distance we are living he adds on very reduced rations and this gloomy dispatch johnston says was the last received from pemberton though others were written he answered saying that if the worst should come pemberton should himself make overtures of surrender to grant as such a step on johnston's part would be an impolitic confession of weakness during all these months a busy and most unsatisfactory correspondence was going on between the confederate government at richmond and general johnston on the twenty fourth of may jefferson davis expressed to him the not very reasonable hope that he should soon be able to break the investment make a junction and carry in munitions johnston replied referring to his inferiority in troops to general grant and the controversy as to his numbers continued for several days in a dispatch of the fifth of june mr seddon the secretary of war regrets his inability to promise more troops as we have drained resources even to the danger of several points johnston says five days later i have not at my disposal half the number of troops necessary at the same time he does not choose to take the responsibility of withdrawing troops from bragg nor is it for me he says to judge which it is best to hold mississippi or tennessee that is for the government to determine without some great blunder of the enemy we cannot hold both i consider saving vicksburg hopeless mr seddon replied in grief and alarm vicksburg must not be lost without a desperate struggle the interest and honor of the confederacy forbid it i rely on you still to avert the loss if better resources do not offer you must hazard attack to this general johnston replied in a dispatch which shows how depressed was the tone of his spirits and how impossible it was for him to see anything but the strength of the enemy and his own weakness grant's position he says naturally very strong is entrenched and protected by powerful artillery and the roads obstructed the big black covers him from attack and would cut off retreat if defeated the defeat of this little army would at once open mississippi and alabama to grant he repeats that he has no hope of doing more than to extricate the garrison mr seddon two days later in a tone of vehement persuasion urged general johnston to action with courteous and even flattering language he invited him to follow the most desperate course the occasion might demand rely upon it the eyes and hopes of the whole confederacy are upon you with the fullest confidence that you will act and with the sentiment that it were better to fail nobly daring than through prudence even to be inactive i look to attack in the last resort but rely on your resources of generalship to suggest less desperate modes of relief mr seddon in his deep distress went on to suggest in turn an attack upon banks something to be done in cooperation with kirby smith or finally the setting on foot of siege operations with artillery against grant from the dry swamps on the north side of the yazoo below haines bluff 
johnston unmoved by these persuasions and passionate appeals explained on the twenty fourth the utter impossibility of following any of these suggestions but unable to withstand the pressure behind him he at last made ready to move upon grant's line he is careful to make it clear that he did not undertake this expedition in the wild spirit that dictated the dispatches from the war department he did not expect to save vicksburg by raising the siege his utmost hopes he said were in case the chances of success seemed to justify it to attack the beleaguering line and to rescue the army with this intention he devoted the second third and fourth of july to an elaborate series of reconnaissances which showed him that the besieging army was covered by a line of field works extending from the railroad bridge to the azoo that all the roads leading to it had been obstructed and that strong bodies of federal troops observed and guarded the river he therefore determined he says to move by the way of edwards station to the south road on the morning of the fifth and he dispatched a note to general pemberton telling him that a relieving force was about to attempt a diversion to enable him to cut his way out of the place and that he hoped to attack the enemy for this object on the seventh but even before the letter was written the fate of pemberton and his army had been decided and instead of moving upon vicksburg johnston was making the best of his way to jackson on the seventh of july in any case general johnston's attack would have been too late for it was the sixth of july that grant had fixed as the day of his final assault upon vicksburg the heads of sap had reached the enemy's line at several points grant had fired one heavy mine on the jackson road on the twenty fifth of june exploding almost a ton of powder vast masses of earth were thrown into the air a part of the enemy's parapet was hurled bodily into the union lines several confederate soldiers being thrown in still living with the flying mass an attempt was made to hold the crater thus formed but it was commanded by an inner line and after severe loss from hand grenades the union troops were compelled to abandon it another mine was begun with the intention of firing it when the final assault was made but the confederate miners being hard at work very near it it was thought injudicious to wait and on the first of july the mine was loaded and fired again destroying a redan of the enemy crushing his galleries and disabling about twenty-five men the union troops were deterred by the experience of the twenty-fifth of june from attempting to occupy this crater the approaches were now in several places within a few feet of the enemy's works every advance of a single yard resulted in a hand-to-hand -hand contest between the troops of the two armies no further progress could be made by digging alone the enemy's works were everywhere weakened at as many as ten different points grant was able to put heads of regiments under cover within from five to one hundred yards of the enemy's line there was little more to be done no further delay could avail vicksburg was a ripe fruit only waiting to be plucked and grant had fixed the hour of plucking three days ahead within the city the state of affairs had come to a point where much longer resistance was impossible absolute famine had not yet made its appearance but the stock of provisions was dwindling fast and prices had risen portentously they were estimated it is true in confederate money but as the people had no other measure of value even these fictitious prices give some idea of the general distress 
flour was one thousand dollars a barrel meal a hundred and forty dollars a bushel it was difficult to get a gallon of molasses for ten dollars the oxen killed by the shells of the bombardment were picked up by butchers and the meat sold for two and three dollars a pound the pack mules which early in the siege had been driven outside the rebel forces to forage for themselves were now enticed inside or caught by parties in the night and furnished the substance of thousands of troops and citizens the unhappy people of vicksburg passed their nights and a great part of their days in caves excavated in the hillsides these troglodyte habitations became an article of commerce selling for forty and fifty dollars each there was still a large army within the walls and they were not yet destitute of military stores the most serious deficiency was that which began to declare itself in the morale of the troops the confederates seemed to have lost confidence in their leaders and all hope of a favorable issue of the siege conversation between the pickets of the opposing forces became general and was encouraged by grant as the advantage was all upon his side late in the siege the rebel pickets communicated a rumor current in the city that the place was to be evacuated by night that the garrison was to be transferred across the mississippi and that houses were being torn down all over the city for the purpose of constructing boats to effect this passage they also said that there was a disposition among the troops to mutiny if they were called on to cut their way out among general pemberton's papers communications have been found from private soldiers warning him of the ominous tone of discontent in his army held by the relentless embrace of a host he now considered invincible and despairing at last of any relief from the outside pemberton on the first of july requested his division commanders to give him their opinion in writing as to the ability of their troops to make the marches and undergo the fatigues necessary to accomplish a successful evacuation forney smith and bowen at once replied advising capitulation stevenson's opinion was a little more encouraging pemberton then called them together and the council unanimously resolved upon capitulation general bowen was sent with a flag of truce to grant on the morning of the third proposing the appointment of commissioners to arrange terms of surrender as the matter was resolved upon pemberton thought best to lose no time and as he was afterwards severely blamed for giving to the union arms the glory of a great victory upon the national anniversary he replied that he had selected the day for the surrender hoping for better terms through this gratification of the national pride to bowen's embassy grant replied that the only terms he would admit were those of unconditional surrender bowen being a friend of grant's and an old neighbor in missouri asked for a personal interview this grant declined but consented to meet pemberton in front of the lines at three o'clock in the afternoon under a tree standing alone upon the hillside a few hundred yards from the rebel lines the commanders of the two armies met pemberton being accompanied by general bowen and general l m montgomery and grant by ordin mcpherson logan and a j smith it was a picture full of vivid and exciting interest to the troops of the two armies who swarmed upon the parapets of the opposing lines in eager expectation and perfect security in places where their exposure a few hours before would have been certain death a strange and almost oppressive silence unbroken by a single shot from the earthworks of the fleet brooded over the scene 
wrapped in the warm languor of a sultry summer evening the two generals saluted each other and pemberton asked what terms of capitulation he was to expect grant repeated what he had said in the morning pemberton haughtily replied then the conference may as well terminate and in this futile manner the meeting was on the point of breaking up when general bowen suggested that a conference between two of the subordinates might lead to some result grant neither assented nor objected to this and smith and bowen retired a little way leaving pemberton and grant in conversation a few minutes later the two subordinates returned and bowen suggested that the confederates should march out of vicksburg with the honors of war grant promptly and smilingly rejected the proposition without coming to any conclusion the generals separated grant promising to send his ultimatum before ten o'clock at night the truce to last as long as the correspondence should be in progress grant returned to his camp and sent to pemberton the following letter in conformity with agreement of this afternoon i will submit the following proposition for the surrender of the city of vicksburg public stores etc on your accepting the terms proposed i will march in one division as a guard and take possession at eight a m tomorrow as soon as rolls can be made out and paroles signed by officers and men you will be allowed to march out of our lines the officers taking with them their side arms and clothing and the field staff and cavalry officers one horse each the rank and file will be allowed all their clothing but no other property if these conditions are accepted any amount of rations you may deem necessary can be taken from the stores you now have and also the necessary cooking utensils for preparing them thirty wagons also counting two two-horse or mule teams as one will be allowed to transport such articles as cannot be carried along the same conditions will be allowed to all sick and wounded officers and soldiers as fast as they become able to travel the paroles for these latter must be signed however while officers are present authorized to sign the roll of prisoners late at night pemberton replied accepting these terms in the main but in justice both to the honor and spirit of his troops manifested in the defense of vicksburg he proposed by way of amendment to evacuate the works in and around vicksburg and to surrender the city and garrison under his command by marching out with his colors and arms and stacking them in front of his present lines after which grant should take possession he asked also that his officers retain their sidearms and personal property and the rights and property of citizens should be respected shortly after midnight grant sent his final answer acceding only partly to pemberton's proposed amendment it will be necessary grant said to furnish every officer and man with a parole signed by himself which with the completion of the rolls of prisoners will necessarily take some time again i can make no stipulations with regard to the treatment of citizens and their private property while i do not propose to cause them any undue annoyance or loss i cannot consent to leave myself under any restraint by stipulations the property which officers will be allowed to take with them will be as stated in my proposition of last evening that is officers will be allowed their private baggage and sidearms and mounted officers one horse each if you mean by your proposition for each brigade to march to the front of the lines now occupied by it and to stack arms at ten o'clock a m and then return to the inside and there remain as prisoners until properly paroled 
I will make no objections to it. Should no notification be received of your acceptance of my terms by 9 a.m., I shall regard them as having been rejected and shall act accordingly. Should these terms be accepted, white flags should be displayed along your lines to prevent such of my troops as may not have been notified from firing upon your men. These terms were accepted by Pemberton. The last shot had been fired on the heights of Vicksburg. At 10 o'clock on the morning of the 4th of July, the Union soldiers, standing upon the parapets of their works, witnessed with deep emotion the army of the Confederates issuing from their sally ports, stacking their arms in front of the works which they had defended so long and so gallantly, and retiring again within their lines as prisoners of war. They were so near together that every word spoken on one side could easily be heard on the other, and it is not the least of the glories gained by the Army of the Tennessee in this wonderful campaign that not a cheer went up from the Union ranks, not a single word said that could offend their beaten foes. Logan's command, which was nearest to the works, had the merited honor of marching first into Vicksburg. The soldiers of the two armies immediately began to fraternize, and the northern boys shared the contents of their well-filled haversacks with their hungry brethren of the south. In the higher ranks, this fraternization was not so prompt. General Grant was received by Pemberton and his staff at headquarters with sulky coldness. No one, at first, offered him a seat. When he asked for a drink of water, he was told where he might find it himself. And during the interview between the two generals, which lasted half an hour, Grant remained standing while officers, girded with the swords which his magnanimity had allowed them to retain, sat sullenly about him. General Pemberton asked for supplies to feed his troops. Grant asked him how many rations would be required, and to his amazement, Pemberton replied, 32,000, for from these words the conqueror gained the first intelligence of the magnitude of his triumph. With his habit of minimizing the number of his enemy, he had thought, up to this moment, that he had captured less than 20,000 men. He rode down to the wharf and exchanged congratulations with Porter, who had rendered him such manful assistance through evil and good report during the last year, and then went back through the cheering lines of his troops to his old quarters in the camp beyond Vicksburg. The paroling of the troops was rapidly accomplished, and they marched away on the 11th of July, Pemberton vainly imploring the assistance of Grant to keep them in their ranks. The disposition to desert was so general that he feared he could not bring his army intact to its destination. This was, of course, refused. General Grant always afterwards, in his reports and in his memoirs, showed an unwanted anxiety to defend his action in thus paroling Pemberton's army. Immediately on receiving the news of the great victory, General Halleck had suggested to him that this action might be construed into an absolute release, and the men be put at once into the ranks of the enemy, such having been the action of the Confederates elsewhere. Grant's defense of this proceeding was that he saved thereby several days in the capture, and left the troops and the transports ready for other service. But it must be counted on the whole an error of judgment. For even before Pemberton, with his unarmed host, had marched away from Vicksburg, Jefferson Davis had telegraphed to him that all the general officers had been exchanged and were released from their parole, 
and two months later the confederate agent of exchange notified the united states agent that all the effective troops paroled at vicksburg were declared exchanged and ordered to duty in spite of the protests on the part of the national authorities this lawless proceeding was carried through and grant confronted a few months later on the heights of the chattanooga some of the soldiers to whom he had allowed such generous terms on the bluffs of vicksburg the confusion arising from this lasted till the end of the war and it was due to general grant's belief that the confederate authorities had acted in bad faith in this matter that he maintained so rigid an attitude in regard to the exchange of prisoners during the last year of the war on the other hand during the march of the paroled confederates to demopolis the place where they were to await their exchange some of the results which general grant looked forward to became apparent grant having refused pemberton the means of maintaining order among his demoralized troops the gravest indications of a mutinous spirit appeared as soon as they left vicksburg and continually increased as they moved along the hot and dusty roads they insulted their officers and at one time loudly called upon pemberton to come and be hanged all along their route they scattered the germs of discouragement and discontent but the victory was too great too important and too beneficent for criticism seldom in the history of the world have results so vast been attained with equal expenditure grant had captured twenty nine thousand four hundred and ninety one men one hundred and seventy two cannon sixty thousand muskets generally new arms which had recently run the blockade and which were at once adopted by the regiments of our army in exchange for their own inferior pieces battered with use and associated with many victories general pemberton's returns for march showed sixty one thousand four hundred and ninety five actually present and of these all that remained saved from death wounds or capture on the fourth of july were those who had escaped with loring from champions hill and eleven thousand or twelve thousand more who were in the force which sherman was chasing before him towards jackson the confederate cause had lost not much less than fifty thousand supporters in this destructive campaign and with them the control of that great artery of the west the mississippi river the confederacy was cut in two at a cost to the union of nine thousand three hundred and sixty two men there were still two years of labor and toil and bloodshed before the end came but the war reached its crisis and the fate of the rebellion was no longer doubtful from that hour in the afternoon of the third of july when grant and pemberton sat in stern and joyless conversation beneath the oak tree on the hillside of vicksburg and pickett's veterans were reeling back baffled and broken by the guns of meade at gettysburg End of chapter 10.